Welcome to the Evolved Athlete Podcast. My name is Chris Perry and I am your host today. And today we are talking all about sleep science, sleep for your health, sleep for your performance, sleep for your everyday, I'm going to rock it, sock it, need to be healthy as hell. When it comes to your sleep, there is not one aspect of your health that is not positively impacted by sleep, and there is not one aspect of your health that is not negatively impacted by when you do not get enough sleep. It is absolutely essential that no matter what our goals and dreams are, whether we want to improve on fitness, whether we want to be more productive throughout our days, whether we want to be more present and in the moment when we're spending time with our families and making memories, having optimal sleep is absolutely paramount to live our best lives. Today, I'm going to be going through multiple avenues of sleep and how it's going to relate to your overall life. I'll go through a brief overall background of the science behind it, and then also go through what the optimal sleep ranges are for your particular ages, as well as how it relates to your on the go and being a productive individual in your career. We will also briefly go into what is called the polyvagal theory and what not getting enough sleep could actually do to your absolute levels amount of stress and the way that you react during really, really stressful times. We'll talk a little bit about the nervous system and how a lot of times in our modern society today, many of us are so on the go and fight or flight, it's actually making it worse when we are sleep deprived and allowing us to get more into that parasympathetic state and be at rest. It makes it that much more difficult to recover from not only physical activity and getting gains in the gym, but also what it might do to us on an overall level when we're present with our families, when we're resilient, where we're less resilient towards stress on the job, and overall could result in poorer sickness and health down the road. We'll also talk a little bit about circadian rhythms and how that relates to your overall sleep health, and then wrap everything up by giving you practical takeaways that you can take away so that you can apply these principles to your life and get a hold of one of the most important aspects of your health, sleep. So let's briefly start here and let's go into a little bit of what the science is around sleep. And what we need to really think about first is ask ourselves the questions of how much sleep per night is optimal for our health. And if we're looking at the majority of adults in our country today, ranging from ages 18 to 60, we need approximately an average of seven to nine hours of sleep per night for optimal functioning and performance throughout the day. That has been found to give us higher levels of energy, less levels of fatigue, less likely to be daytime sleepiness. Right? But we also need to keep into account that we need to make sure that we have high quality of sleep. And although sleep duration itself hasn't really decreased in the past 50 years among individuals, there is clear evidence that shows that sleep quality may have been decreased over time due to the increase in the technological age and reliance on a lot of the things that we utilize on a daily basis, including our cell phones, our computers, and our television sets, which actually give off this really, really bright light that is very similar to what is given off by the sun, which can actually delay our body clocks and make getting to sleep much more difficult. We'll talk about that more when we get into circadian rhythms. We also need to think about what are we doing during the day that's causing us to have issues with our sleep. I talk to at least three or four people a day that will talk to me about their sleep-related issues, and most of the time it can stem down to little things that they're doing throughout their day that they don't take into account might be influencing their sleep at night. <clears throat> so the biggest things we're going to talk about is how things like Caffeine usage, light exposure, 
lack or to or lack of physical activity, all of these things will relate to whether or not you're going to be able to get a good amount of sleep per night. Your social schedule and work schedule differences will also play a big role here when it comes to being able to keep your body clock in rhythm for you to be able to fall asleep. So just to quickly recap, when it comes to the amount of sleep that we need per night, shoot for at least seven to nine hours of sleep. That seems to be right smack dab in the middle with the least association of mortality. When we look at all the observational research that has been done in the, in the field of sleep research, we see that when we look at various levels of sleep varying from two and a half hours of sleep per night to four to six, all the way upwards to nine, we see a U-shaped curve to where... <clears throat> the less amount of mortality or cause of death comes from getting at least six and a half to seven hour and a half hours of sleep per night, whereas that mortality ratio goes up if you get less or more than that amount of sleep. So six to seven hours, six and a half to about seven and a half hours of sleep per night seems to be optimal for most individual. Now, remember, this will also tie into whether or not you are a morning person or an evening person can also determine why or why not, it might be difficult for you to get that amount of sleep. If you're a morning person, very, very easy to fall asleep at night around 8 or 9 p.m. and be able to wake up at 4 or 5 in the morning or 6 in the morning and be able to be productive and live your day normally. But if you're an individual who is chronically, chrono, chronotypically a night person to where you feel more cognitively able to be able to put your best foot forward at those times, then your body clock is naturally shifted towards that time, which makes waking up that much more difficult every morning and make it that much more difficult for you to be productive and for you to have a really good start to your day. And so individuals like this, there's actually some cool research that goes into why these individuals are better suited for night shift positions and how we really need to start developing policies based off of individuals' chronotype that will allow them to be more successful. Because if we try to put individuals who chronotypically do not function well in early morning jobs, then we need to create opportunities for them or at least show them the types of opportunities that will be best suited for them based off of their chronotype so they're not fighting against themselves to wake up first thing in the morning. And so just to go over some of the reasons why uh, sleep is so important is when we look at sleep duration and individuals who either don't get enough sleep or get too much sleep, we actually seen the observational research over time following individuals' lives that they are much more likely to be associated with individuals having heart disease or incurring strokes. They are more likely to have hypertension or diabetes. They are more likely to be depressed or even become obese, which we know is a very significant epidemic in our day today. And we have also found that by the age, not the age, I'm sorry, by the year 2050, that nearly one third or more of our country will be obese and at least half will be overweight. And that statistic is staggering, right? That scares the shit out of me. I don't know about you. <laughs> because as we see, especially in our fitness-minded individuals that listen to our podcast here, sleep is one of the biggest things that we can really take hold of that will impact our ability to be able to live healthier lifestyles. We're going to talk about it here soon on how actually not getting enough sleep per night can impact our executive functioning and even impact the way we make choices. And when you relate that to how we choose the foods that we eat throughout the day can play a large role 
and whether or not we overconsume calories throughout the day, independent of whether or not we're getting enough physical activity. So if we continue on, it goes all the way down the list as far as what chronic diseases are associated with not getting enough or getting too much sleep. In addition to that, we also see consequences of poor sleep that relate to reduced athletic and academic performance. There are multiple studies that will show both uh, anecdotally, uh, not anecdotally, I'm sorry, uh, both observationally and experimentally that when we reduce individual sleep, it can actually reduce overall power output in the gym. It might not reduce overall strength, but it can for sure reduce our over amount or over ability to be able to withstand higher volumes of training. Um, it will also create mood disturbances. There was one research study in particular that Dr. Matthew Walker was talking during an interview where they took an undergraduate student um, and simply deprived him throughout the night. And you could see his really, really vast and rapid changes in his personality and mood based off of depriving him of sleep. One of the biggest things um, that we need to keep into attention when it comes to poor sleep, especially sleep deprivation, is the increase in risk-taking behavior and drowsy driving. I remember living in Phoenix, Arizona, um, for five years and waking up to go to work every morning. You know, I'm an early riser at about, I wake up around 4 a.m., 5 a.m., typically every day and getting on the highway first thing in the morning, you know, take a stop and take a look every once in a while. I mean, don't stop the car on the highway, but take a look around and you'll notice at least three out of five vehicles are swaying in each direction. It's really the scariest thing I've ever seen, <laughs> especially with big ass trucks when they're driving on the road, these giant ass tractor trailers. And they've actually found that a lot of the accidents on the road are actually due to individuals being sleep deprived. Um, because what a lot of individuals don't understand is when you are sleep deprived, we see similar effects as if you were uh, had an alcohol blood content of almost 0 0.08 as if you were under the influence of alcohol. So it's very, very important that we understand that sleep plays a vital role in your be inability to be alert and to be able to make calculated decisions. Apply that to when you're driving on the road, and that could be super, super impactful. The similar thing can be related to uh, residents at the hospital who perform surgeries. There are countless mistakes, quote unquote, that are made every year, every day in the hospital, simply from being in these sleep-deprived conditions. And this can mean a matter of often life and death for patients who are undergoing surgery. Now, I don't want to be so morbid about that and be scary about that, but stuff happens. And malpractice definitely can be a result of individuals simply not having enough rest. Sleep is absolutely vital for you to be at the maximum level of performance. And so as we start to change directions here and go into how sleep uh, relates to appetite hormones, and this is more for uh, our fitness community to pay attention to, is that sleep duration is a very important regulator of our body weights and our metabolism. And when you do not get enough sleep, it can negatively impact the levels of leptin and ghrelin in the bloodstream. Just to give you a quick little science lesson, ghrelin is your feeling hungry hormone, all right? It's what stimulates you to be able to consume more food, whereas leptin is released by your fat cells that will actually signal satiation and help keep you from eating more. 
But when we become sleep deprived, sleep deprivation studies have actually shown us that individuals who do not get enough sleep actually have less leptin secreted by the fat cells and more ghrelin released by the fat cells, which can be a contributing mechanism to weight gain. So just to put this into perspective on what this would mean, if you are depriving yourself of sleep, you'll be more likely to overconsume calories. And if you're doing this in combination with sedentary activity and not performing physical activity, this could lead to a calorie surplus. Do this over time consistently throughout the weeks, and you will see a steadily increase in body weight, which can be overall detrimental not only to your fitness goals, but to your health overall, especially at nighttime. And there's a lot of actually circadian rhythm components that can contribute to this as well. Um, and what might actually result in improve, increased prevalence of insulin resistance, which will increase your risk of developing diabetes. So these are all things that we need to take into note that although might seem small and trivial, when done consistently can negatively impact your health. If we look further, on other areas of why sleep can be detrimental is part of my dissertation focused on the negative aspect of long sleep duration and how that can be hazardous. And some of the major mechanisms that can result from sleeping too much in bed. And I also want to apply that this also applies to you being pressing the snooze button first thing in the morning and staying in bed longer than you should. Because um, when you do this, especially when you wake up first thing and then you think to yourself, oh, you know what? I have an extra hour. I'm going to go ahead and knock some sleep, extra sleep out. I'm going to feel, it's going to make me feel better. I'm going to be good. Oftentimes, this is actually detrimental because what you might actually be doing is not only are you increasing the time in bed and reducing your opportunity for physical activity throughout the day, but you are, in addition, potentially waking yourself up later on in the middle of a sleep stage that could actually make you feel more groggy. So when you interrupt the deeper stages of sleep, you are actually doing yourself, you're not doing yourself a favor. Um, and you're actually shooting yourself in the foot and you're more likely to wake up groggy, feeling a little bit more irritable, all right? It's, you're, it, you're basically induced getting up out of the wrong side of the bed. Um, which, so which, what you pretty much did is you caused sleep fragmentation and fragmented your sleep, um, to which can lead to other negative health aspects. And so not only is this going to make you more lethargic throughout the day, you're going to be more irritable, you're not going to, you're going to be a little bit more emotional, you're going to be less likely to make the choices that you normally would to live that healthier lifestyle, you're going to be less likely to engage in physical activity, you'll be more likely to choose foods you wouldn't have otherwise. We see that uh, when we're sleep deprived or even feeling lethargic, um, from sleeping too much, that we see poor executive functioning um, in the uh, in the in the brain, and so we'll be more likely to make choices uh, that do not coincide with healthy behaviors, and maybe more likely to select those highly palatable, highly satiating, delicious foods, um, especially from processed foods. Um, so we need to be careful of the potential mechanisms of how both short and long sleep duration can be detrimental to our health. Um, above all, one of the biggest things of not getting enough sleep per night um, is its effects on the immune system. And Dr. Matthew Walker actually talks about this in multiple interviews he's done, multiple podcasts, um, is that you will see that there is a natural level of immune cells that are responsible for cleaning infection and destroying uh just destroying malicious cells throughout the body, particularly during sleep. And when you are sleep deprived, we actually see a significant decrease in these amount 
of killer T cells in the body, which can be a contributing factor to what actually might result in you getting sick or making being able to recover from sickness much harder and more difficult as you're going through the recovery process when you're sick. So during times like the flu season or when colds are going around, this can be very, very detrimental and sleep can play a vital role in being your ultimate toolkit to getting you better again. But if you're not getting enough sleep and it's not consistent, then this can actually put you at risk for getting more sick and less and make it more difficult to recover. So it is super important that optimal sleep is also good for your immune system. Even when we're trying to learn, whether you're an athlete or whether you're a student in class or whether you're a brand new weight loss client who's learning brand new strength training movements in the gym and trying to learn how to do more of the compound movements that require a lot more skill, a lot of our learning and cognition will also take place uh, during sleep. This is where we actually consolidate memories and, and really put into play a lot of these motor skill patterns that we learn throughout the day. And if we're not getting enough sleep, this is going to make it much, much more difficult for us to be able to learn and to be able to improve in many of these areas. And so it is super important that we understand how sleep is vital to our lives, no matter what our goals are. And what we need to understand fully is that we need to be more aware of our choices that we make throughout the day, especially in our current age where technology continues to improve and be aware of the choices that we make when using this technology and how it can actually relate to our overall digital wellness. Now I want to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about circadian rhythms because circadian rhythms has a large component of our sleep. And if we're not aware of the timing of when we're doing things throughout our lives, it can make it that much more difficult for us to have the best sleep possible. And so when it comes to our circadian rhythms, I want to talk about how every process in your body has a rhythm of, of its own, all right? We are diurnal creatures, which means that we function off of a 24 to 25-hour cycle where we are awake during the day and we are asleep during the nighttime. And there is an optimal time of day for most of the processes in our body. And so what stimulates our body clocks the most are things called Zetgeibers, which are any type of external or environmental signal that will entrain and synchronize our body's rhythms. And so the most potent ones that we know of are light and consumption of food, and then the third being exercise. And when we time these things, they can entrain our body to get used to being doing certain processes at certain times throughout the day, light being the most powerful which is why being cognitively aware of how much light we're receiving during the day from the sun and our electronic devices is so damn important. And so the first thing we need to do every day is focus on getting bright light from the sun because bright light from the sun will actually stimulate our suprachiasmatic nucleus and help regulate our body functionally. This is the best thing you can do. They've done countless studies on where bright light therapy has not only synchronized individuals to be able to be more productive at the right times during the day, but has even shown improvements in levels of positive thinking and less daytime sleepiness and less depressive symptoms in individuals who struggle from PTSD-related symptoms, such as many veterans who come back from military service. Other things that we look at as well is the negative impact. As, as important as it is to get sleep during the day, I mean, I'm sorry, light during the day, 
getting less light in the evening is just as equally as important. So think of it as getting bright light during the day as a strong signal to turn the on switch onto your body. All right, we're going to go over to the wall. We're going to switch on the light switch. All right, now everything's going hunky-dory. We're feeling good. We're being productive. But as soon as the evening comes around, we need to send just enough strong enough signal to the body to shut that light switch off. So what shows us that darkness is just as important of a stimulus for our circadian rhythms to indicate to the body that it's time to start the unwinding process and allow us to be able to get to sleep and recover for the next day. But the biggest issue is, is today and age, we go home after being at work all day long and we go right into a bright environment with bright lights, these modern devices that we have, our TVs, our our computers and our iPads and our cell phones, they all give off the same bright wavelength as the sun does. It's the blue light. And you've probably heard of blue light blocking glasses and blue light blocking softwares and all of these things. And although these things help, if you're not getting enough stimulus to the bright light during the day and then darkness at night, it won't matter how much you're using your blue light blocking glasses. And so a lot of sleep researchers and circadian rhythm experts will usually talk about how the best thing you can do is get as much bright light as you can during the day. And then you need to create a contrast to that by getting darkness at night, by dimming the lights in your home as best as you possibly can and changing the intensity from bright white to more of a yellow, orange, amberish color. This is why using salt lamps or uh, Philips Hue lamps that you can change the colors are so beneficial in the evenings and they can really, really help promote your sleep. Um, and this is something that a lot of people do not take into account. So what I'll usually do for myself personally is I will try to make sure that I stimulate myself every morning by getting outside, going for a walk, and getting as much bright light sun as I can for 20 to 30 minutes. And then throughout the day, trying to get outside and either doing multiple walks where I'm facing the sun or where I'm eating lunch outside will really, really help stimulate that as well. So I can get as much bright light from the sun as I can during the day. And then as soon as I get home in the evening, I'll try to make sure that I eliminate all ceiling level lights and only turn on lamps that are the darker orange and amber in color. That way I am able to get more of a darkness that will be able to contrast the light that I received during the day and send a stronger signal to the body that says, hey, it's nighttime, Chris. It's time to chill and it's time to get some rest um, so that we can recover and get on to crushing the next day. Super important, especially for our individuals who own their own businesses and are constantly working. You have to make sure that you are doing this for yourself so that you can rest and be able to put your best foot forward. This is my biggest critique of the working at home environments that we have now due to COVID and working online. Although working online is fantastic and offers so many avenues of flexibility. It's, I, I've worked at home for a long time when I used to work at Bryan University prior to being at Eastern Kentucky, and it was the best damn thing ever. Right? I loved working from home. <laughs> you could do your own schedule, do your own things. You're in the comfortable of your own home. It's great. But the issue with it is if you take it too far, you could literally turn yourself into a workaholic where you don't take any breaks and you find yourself starting your day at 6 a.m. and not putting your computer down literally until 9 p.m. at night. We cannot let this become normal because not only does this take you away from having a proper life balance um, and being able to be, have, be, prevent, be able to prevent burnout 
from you driving on all cylinders all day long, but it, it destroys your ability to sleep. I've worked with athletes who literally have bright lights shining on their eyes all times throughout the day on their computers, and they're wondering why they can't get it sleep at night. Well, because you've got a bright-ass light that's just as bright as the sun coming through, hitting your eyeballs, and it's literally telling your brain, hey, it's still sun outside. We got to delay that body clock. And then it makes it that much more difficult for you to be able to fall asleep. And you're basically inducing yourself to, be, to becoming an insomniac. Um, so we really have to be more mindful of what we're doing and how we're using electronic devices um, throughout the evenings to making sure that we create this bright light during the day and very, very dark light during the evening contrast so that our body understands what time of day it is so that we can actually get the most out of our rest. Super, super important. Um, another thing to note with this is many of us live sedentary, uh, work sedentary occupations in offices. And if we're working inside of a building without the exposure of the light through a window or the actually taking breaks and going outside, that will actually also be detrimental for you because you're not creating that contrast when you're going from work back to home. It's like you stayed in the same lit environment the entire time and it did not create enough of a contrast to send a stronger signal. They actually, there was the farmers versus cubicle study where they compared individuals like this who worked in these environments versus farmers who went outside all day long and then came home and then did their normal day evening things. Now, what the cool part was is even when the farmers utilized electronics such as their phones or their computers at night, and then we're able to get a really, really sound sleep. And you're thinking to yourself, well, how did that happen if they got bright light when they were at home? Well, because they created such a large contrast and got so much bright light during the day being outside and then came home into a little bit of a lighter environment, a little bit more dimmer environment, they were still able to get to sleep. So that shows us independently that it's super important for us to get exposure to bright light from the sun during the day as much as possible, especially if we're working in inside environments with artificial light. The next thing that stimulates our body clocks is food, okay? We are more insulin sensitive in the morning and less so in the evening. And so when we prioritize our consumption of nutrients during the day, that can help keep our metabolism a little bit more regular. It allows our bodies to assimilate those nutrients a little bit more um, and might be more suitable than eating larger amounts, especially higher fat foods in the evening. Uh, there have been some things that show that sometimes eating really, really late at night, especially these really, really heavy, high fat foods can be very, very detrimental, make it that much harder to digest and could potentially ruin your sleep. I remember there was a talk by Dr. Satchitananda Panda, who does a lot of research in circadian rhythms. Um, he looks at time-restricted eating. And one of the things that he used to say uh, was how you kind of wake up with this food hangover when you eat really, really late at night, um, either due to the poor digestion that occurs when your body is trying to do one thing of getting you to wind down to fall asleep, but then you introduce nutrients into the body that is trying to digest. And so it's like the body's trying to do two different things at one time when one set of processes should be happening during the day and the other one's happening at night. You have these conflicting processes trying to happen in the body. You've got two sets of cars that are trying to come onto the highway when they shouldn't be, and it's causing a traffic jam. And so that's what he relates to that as a potential reason for why sometimes we might have interrupted or poor sleep at night if we're choosing to perform certain actions when we shouldn't. 
exercise is another one of these things that we can use that will either advance or delay our clock. And we usually find in research that if, you, if you're an individual who works out in the morning, you can actually advance your body clock, which is different from delaying it. Advancing your body clock means that you'll be able to fall asleep more regularly at the time earlier in the evening. Whereas if we delay it, then by consuming caffeine or by exposing ourselves to light, it makes it that much more difficult for us to fall asleep because it delays the release of melatonin in the body, which is think of as the uh, the starter at the starting line with the shooter's pistol. Okay, It's melatonin that initiates the signals for us and processes for us to fall asleep. It does not actually induce sleep, which is a common misconception. The next thing we have to talk about is social jet lag and how the misalignment of your circadian rhythms could be causing you not to be able to get enough sleep. And this is very, very common because we live in a very, very social atmosphere and we like to have social lives. And so majority of Americans, what they'll do is they'll have their work schedule Monday through Thursday where they'll wake up early and then they'll try to go to bed early and they keep that schedule. But then when we get to the weekends, we tend to stay up later, we drink alcohol, and we shift our body clocks in the different direction. And this misaligns how our circadian rhythm has been for the past few days. And this misalignment is the reason why when we come back around to Monday on the weekend, we feel like it's like, like kicking ourselves in the nuts when it comes to waking up. Uh, it makes it so difficult. Why? Well, because you literally created artificial travel jet lag to where when you slept in and stayed up super late, you shifted your body clock. So now when you're trying to wake up at 5 a.m. on Monday to go to work, your body thinks it's 2 a.m. because of what you did the previous few days, staying up late, drinking, and sleeping in. And so it's super important to understand that this discrepancy in your sleep patterns is so detrimental to your health. And that we even found out independently of less sleep, sleep jet lag, it's social jet lag itself by one hour increases your risk of heart attack by 11%. Um, because we know that not getting enough sleep at night is very detrimental to your cardiovascular system, which can be very, very, very poor on your health. And so this is why the sleep researchers will say the number one thing you can do to get your sleep right is to be more consistent with your sleep where you wake up at the same time every day and you go to bed at the same time every evening consistently on a daily basis. And that will be the most powerful thing you can do to improve your overall sleep quality. Very, very eye-opening things. If we want to take that a step further, we now we can relate this to the polyvagal theory and how our autonomic nervous system, uh, how it relates to more stressful events or stress that we have not yet dealt with in the past, um, can relate to our ability to process emotions and be able to react. So I find this uh, research really interesting, and there's still much more deep diving I need to go into it. Um, but the polyvagal theory was coined by, coined by Dr. Stephen Porges, and it's really, just to keep things simple, is based off of basically being overdrive into your sympathetic nervous system. And so when it comes to your autonomic nervous system, we have two divisions. We have your sympathetic, which is your fight or flight. This is when you're up and you're going and you know your, your, your pulse quickens. And this is what happens when you work out. And then when you do, and then the opposite side, your parasympathetic nervous system is responsible for recovery and digestion stimulated by the vagus nerve and, and diaphragmatic breathing. And what happens is, is if you have traumatic stress or traumatic event that happened throughout your life, if you have PTSD, or in addition, 
Things that can also cause it is the overutilization of caffeine or simply not sending enough signals to the body to be in that parasympathetic state. We can see this over-reliance of being in more of a sympathetic state more throughout the day. Um, Dr. Andy Galpin talks about this as well on how many times fitness individuals who go to the gym never stop to actually cool down at the end of the workout and send a signal to the body that gets it to calm down. And you can carry this over-reliance of the sympathetic nervous system throughout the day into other tasks as well. And it's one of the biggest reasons why we have so many people nowadays with depression, anxiety, overthinking, um, because Dr. Stephen Porges actually talks about in many of his research talks how when we're in this state, when you're overly stimulated and in this, paras- in this sympathetic state for longer than you should, it actually blocks particular mechanisms in the brain that are responsible for thinking clearly. So it, it will literally impact your executive functioning. And it's no wonder why when you're all hyped up, you can't think through things logically when you're stressed out. And so it is super important to become aware of this and that sleep, dep- uh, sleep deprivation will also have a negative impact on this area of your health and could make that emotional regulation even worse. And so you just create the perfect cocktail of sleep deprivation, not eating correctly, being overly stressed out, um, being over-reliant and and having an overdrive of your sympathetic nervous system. It's just the perfect example and concoction for mass hysteria, cats and dogs living together. Good God, all right? So what we really need to do is get a hold of ourselves. And (laughs) I'm just being funny this morning. We really have to take a step back and audit our habits to be able to look at, okay, what am I doing here? Am I doing what I need to do for optimal health and sleep so that I can be at my best every day, whether my goals are to improve my fitness and lose weight, whether it's to be more present with my family, to decrease stress, or to simply be best for my business, all right? Because we work with a lot of fitness coaches and fitness coaches need to be the dime example, okay? But if they themselves are running their asses into the ground because they're not getting enough sleep at night, then this could be really, really detrimental to their overall potential for success. And so, Now I really want to dive into here is what we can do about this and how we can improve our overall sleep practices so that we can put our best foot forward every single day. And the first thing I will talk about is eliminating that blue light exposure and getting as much sunlight during the day. Now, take this with a grain of salt. I do not want you to just stop using your phones. It is super important that we utilize technology these days, especially because phones allow life to be so easily accessed and, and and find information, contact individuals. So phones are definitely a necessary part of our, our daily lives today. We just need to learn how to be more responsible with it. And the way that we do this is we need to create that light contrast. So the first thing in your priority list every day should be waking up and getting light exposure from the sun. That should be your priority because it is the strongest wavelength of light that you can receive that can help synchronize your body clock. So get as much bright light during the day as you can, taking breaks if you work indoors, going outside, getting 10 to 20 minutes, doing as much as you can to get that natural light exposure. And then as the evening starts to occur and the light starts to wind down, you need to get as much of a darkness exposure as you possibly can so that you'll be able to send a strong enough signal to your body to start the processes for winding down. This consists of putting blue light blockers on your cell phones, your computers, your televisions, 
but also dimming the lights in your home and making sure that you go from ceiling lit to more, uh, more ground lit uh, sources. So using more standing lamps that are more orange and amber in color. My favorite is just using salt lamps and lighting all the salt lamps in my house and turning off all other sources of light. That way I create a strong darkness stimulant that will be able to initiate to my body that says, hey, it's dark, time to go to bed. You know, let's, let's start to wind down a little bit. And that'll be able to send a strong enough signal to my body. So by the time I'm ready to fall asleep by eight or nine o'clock, I'm ready to rock and roll. I hit that pillow, no problems at all. That's step number one. Step number two, stop using your phones and computers at least one to two hours before bed. This will help keep you from overthinking about things and thinking about all the things you have to do tomorrow. I usually love pairing this with, because uh, I, I love Cal Newport's research um, and deep work uh, he's the author of and talks a lot about when these devices that have notifications or anything are literally in our conscious view, all right? Even if we're not thinking about them and we're watching TV or we're doing something else, we literally dedicate brain energy and resources subconsciously to those devices and we don't even know it. And that's why when we're at work, oftentimes, one of the best things you can do is put your damn phone away. Because even if you're not on your phone, your brain is committing resources to it and thinking about it. And this can also drive you into becoming more mentally fatigued faster and being less likely to be able to put your best foot forward when you're being productive throughout your day. Um, so think about that at night now. And it is super important to realize how we need to take a step back. And for the best way to unwind is by removing these devices from our areas, maybe spending more time reading books, spending time with our families, and getting away from utilizing our devices so that we can actually unwind and be able to fall asleep properly. The next thing that I recommend is cease stimulant use by noon every single day. And this is hard for a lot of people because so many people are relying on caffeine, but so many do not understand the ramifications that caffeine has on your body. Although caffeine is great and I love coffee as much as the next guy. Shit, I'm drinking my coffee right now in my baby Yoda mug. Mm. Ah, flavor country. So although I'm enjoying my coffee in the morning, it's in the morning, okay? Try to have it before 12 to 14 hours, you know you're gonna to go to sleep. This recommendation is based from Matthew Walker, and most people will think I'm crazy, okay? But we need to understand that the half-life of caffeine is six hours, and so although it might be clear from your system, it's only the half-life. It is still floating around in the bloodstream acting on your adenosine receptors. And so, and the funniest one, and you know, I can astute my department chair and numerous friends to this is they say, oh, I can still fall asleep at night when I drink a pot of coffee. Even if you can, they've compared brain scans of individuals uh, who do this compared, and it's so funny because they'll, they'll compare the brain scan of someone who drinks coffee in the evening versus a 75 or 80 year old. And they'll see that their brain scans look virtually the same, which is not good, which means you know, there's less gray matter. You're more like, <laughs> you're, you're less, you're, you're not getting through the sleep stages as well. You're not getting as much high quality of sleep. You're actually shooting yourself in the foot, regardless of whether or not you're falling asleep. Um, so do your best to try and eliminate uh, consumption of caffeine before noon every day to give your body enough time to process it and get it out of there. So by the time you're ready to fall asleep, caffeine is not negatively impacting your ability to do so. The next thing, and this is often a big one for people too, is 
stop drinking booze an hour to two hours before bed, sometimes even three. And people usually gasp at that. They're like, but I like my nightcap. It's like, yeah, well, what grandma and grandpa used to do when we were kids as a nightcap probably wasn't the best thing because it's super detrimental to your health to do that. Um, when you drink alcohol, it is, acts like a sedative. It's, it acts like sleeping pills. It's like why sleeping pills are associated with such an increase in mortality. They are not good for you. Um, same thing with alcohol. Um, not only is alcohol a poison in itself, I mean, but don't get me wrong. I enjoy bourbon with the rest of them and I like beer and wine, but we have to be careful because when we consume it two to three hours before bed, it will actually act as a sedative and simply knock out the primary cortex of our brain. It does not actually allow us to improve sleep in any form of fashion. Think about putting the key into the ignition of your car and you're trying to get the engine to turn over, over and over and over and over again, but it just won't turn. It just won't turn the car on. That was what is typically happening in your brain when you're trying to fall asleep after drinking alcohol. It will be difficult to get through the sleep stages and you will be highly fragmented. And therefore, when you wake up the next morning, will not be good at all. You would have had poor sleep quality. You wake up more groggy and out of it. You, you'll feel disconnected. You'll be less likely to make wiser decisions. It becomes very, very difficult. Um, so this is why alcohol is not recommended at all, at least two to three hours prior to going to sleep, um, as difficult as that can be for a lot of individuals to stomach. And further, it's, it's more excess in calories. So think about that as well for individuals who are trying to lose weight. Daily physical activity is one of the best things you can do to try and keep not only your circadian rhythms in check, but also to increase your overall need for physical restitution. Right? In order for our bodies to recover, we see higher levels of mitosis and protein synthesis uh, throughout our deeper stages of sleep throughout the night. It is super important that if you're doing physical activity, not only for your health, but can also improve your sleep as well. Um, and do not worry about physical activity during the evening. It is actually a myth that uh, working out late at night is detrimental to your sleep. That's not actually true. Um, there's only a small handful of people that it might negatively impact, whereas the majority of other people, it might be just fine. Um, and in fact, can even be beneficial in a way because when you combine physical activity in the evening to get your body temperature up, um, at the same time as doing maybe a hot shower, you can actually improve your sleep by raising your body temperature up and getting it up to its peak so it's more likely to fall, especially after taking that hot shower and getting that radiation effect where the heat is released um, throughout the body um, and will help you get your core body temperature down after getting out of that hot shower. Um, super, super beneficial. Temperature is one of the major signaling, uh, signaling processes to the body um, that it's time to you know, start to get ready to come to sleep because the body needs to um, reduce its core temperature by about one to two degrees Fahrenheit uh, in order to do this. And so combining that with first doing exercise to get your body temperature up and then taking a hot shower can really help accelerate this process at the end of the day. So really, really great thing you can try. Um, and you can do either independently. You can exercise at another time during the day and just do a hot shower before you go to bed. And that is a great way to help prime your body to get it to go to sleep. Uh, having a wind down routine is super beneficial as well because your body is a smart machine and it will subconsciously get it ready to do things um, the more and more you get into that rhythm of doing them. So having some sort of routine where you're walking in the evenings or you have a reading practice or a spiritual practice or you use the evening to reflect on the day, which is one of my favorites. I call it the today I conquered list. And I share this with all my athletes that I work with to where I'll literally throughout the day, I'll write everything I completed. And then before I go to sleep at night, I will read that list just as a reminder to myself that, hey, 
Uh, I did do some things today and I got some things done. And then here's, if I didn't get certain things done here, what can I do tomorrow to make that more impactful or where can I prioritize it in my schedule? And that way I'm less likely to overthink because I've gotten all my thoughts out. I thought about the day and I thought about how I'm going to tackle the day and set my intent for tomorrow. And that can really, really help uh, reduce levels of overthinking. Other things that you can add to your routine are things like yoga nidra, body scans, or breathwork practices. Sending, creating more opportunities to send that strong signal to the body to be in more of a parasympathetic state because we are so overdrive all the time. And you know, some of my coaches that I that I coach are so they're victims of this, and they just don't know how to calm down and <laughs> just kind of get them to settle down. And so, doing things such as yoga nidra practices, you can find so many videos online. Yoga nidra is. Basically, it's sort of like a guided meditation, but more or less bringing you to more physical awareness. And so that's why I like to call it a body scan as well, um, because the, the guided individual talking to you on the video or audio clip is walking you through, bringing awareness to every little aspect of your body, which is really, really beneficial. Um, combining that with breath work can be super powerful into sending a strong signal to the body to be in more of a parasympathetic state and get you ready to sleep. And so... Oftentimes, just breath work in itself, using things like triangle or box breathing can also be super, super impactful. So just to give you an example of what box breathing is, is to set a particular duration of time to where you're breathing in slow and then holding it at the top and then breathing and then exhaling slowly and then refraining from breathing from a certain amount of time. So you're making a box. And so, so for example, you inhale for six to eight seconds, hold your breath for six to eight seconds. Gently let the breath out for six to eight seconds and then don't breathe for six to eight seconds. This is what box breathing is. And it can, when you do this for at least three to five minutes, can be a strong, can send a strong signal to the parasympathetic nervous system, especially if you pair this with relaxation techniques such as yoga nidra, it can be super beneficial and really, really help you get into that relaxed, sleepy state. And then the biggest thing that I recommend as well, and this is the strongest thing you can do to get your sleep right is get a regular sleep schedule. Go to bed at the same time every day and wake up at the same time every day. That is the biggest, most important thing I can do for you uh, as, as an individual who studied sleep for so long and what you can do to help improve your sleep. And just to recap, remember, sleep is one of the most important things you can do for your health. If sleep is not something you are prioritizing and you have goals related to fitness, weight loss, building strength, building muscle mass, or simply improving in your career, learning more, being more present during your relationships and making wiser choices. If you're not getting high quality sleep every single night, you'll be doing yourself a disservice and you will be shooting yourself in the foot from being able to put your best foot forward each day to be able to accomplish what you need to to live your best life. And so, as always, these are the types of principles that we prioritize at Evolve with myself and my fellow coaches. Really do a good job of educating the reasons, educating our clients and athletes on why sleep is so important. And hope that you all, our listeners today, will take that into account and do a self-audit of yourself and really try to figure out, hey, am I really on top of my sleep? Am I really putting my best foot forward for myself so that I can put my best, so I can deliver and serve the best I can to others around me? If you guys have any questions at all, please don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media. You can reach us at evolve underscore HP or myself personally at hashtag 
not hashtag. <laughs> wow. Looks like I need a little bit more, uh, need to hydrate a little bit here. Um, you can reach me at, at cperry001 on Instagram. And you can also find our other coaches on Instagram as well for Coach Jen, Coach Kayla, and of course, Coach Ian. Don't hesitate to reach out to us. We want to make sure that we give you the best information possible so you can live that evolved athlete lifestyle. Look forward to the next episode. We're going to come back with another Coach's Roundtable next week talking all about why weight loss is rarely the first step when it comes to a weight loss program. We can't wait for you to hear it. As always, be out, be out there working hard, put your best foot forward, and go kick some ass. Coach P's out. See you in the next one.